Hi, I am Carmel Jane and welcome to the Carmel Jane Talks Business Podcast. This podcast is all about unearthing real stories from female entrepreneurs about their journey to success. Get inspired and discover top tips, advice and real life experience on how to start a business, grow a business and create something you are really proud of. And This week I am pretty excited. We have a wonderful woman who um, four years ago, she wasn't very well, she invented her own form of gluten-free bread, won international bread awards, has been sold at an Ocado and is just opening a bakery. It is all going on for Davina Steele and her fantastic story about her gluten-free bread. Find out how she did it, how she invented it, um, how she got it distributed, and now how she's opening a bakery all in the space of four years. It is going to be fantastic. Not only that, we have the wonderful Emma Good from 24 Fingers in our social media section. And she's going to be all talking about how we niche ourselves and how we really present ourselves because we can't be everything to everyone. So how on social media can you find your niche and really talk to the people that you need to be talking to? Remember, if you have any business questions you'd like answered, email me on carmel at carmeljane.co.uk or post on our Facebook page, Carmel Jane Talks Business. We'd love to hear from you. Hey, and please do remember that this podcast has been taken from a live radio show. So occasionally there's a few little slip-ups and repeats, but we are live on air while it's being recorded, so we can't go back and edit it, but enjoy it. It adds, it adds to the fun of it. So ladies, get ready to dream bigger, believe bigger, and make a difference. So here we are, it's Carmel Jane with the Carmel Jane Talks Business Show here on Phoenix FM. And I am super excited today because we have the wonderful Davina Steele in the studio and she's going to talk all about her incredible journey from a, a life-threatening illness and in four years she's now an, uh, an award-winning bread maker. Welcome to the show, Davina. Thank you. Hello, Carmel. Uh, brilliant to have you here. Um, so. This is really interesting. So, you know, what, what triggered? So in four years, you're now selling your packs of gluten-free bread into your own Ocado. You're about to open a commercial bakery. How did you start making bread, Davina? Oh, that's quite a long story. Um, <laughs> start at the beginning. Okay. Well, I had cancer. So following cancer treatment, I became intolerant, allergic to pretty much half the world, really. Um, after a couple of years, things have improved and there's just one thing that still remains and that's gluten. I have a real, real problem with it, eating that. Mm -hmm. So in the early days, I was complaining to my husband about, you know, I was getting better. I must have been better because I was complaining um, about the fact that I couldn't eat beautiful artisan bread anymore. We love food. We're real foodies. And I just imagined a plate of beautiful bread and wine and cheese and I couldn't have it. And so I don't get much sympathy yeah. here from him. <laughs> well, I do. Could, could, they, could you eat the wine and cheese? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I had to give up. I did have to give up dairy for a while, actually. <laughs> so the bread, he just said, "Well, you're a scientist, you're a nutritionist, and you spend ninety percent of your time in the kitchen. Go and sort it out." Because you actually are a scientist, aren't you? Yeah. And you did used to do research. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And um, I, I read on your website you're a bit of an inventor as a kid. Um, yeah, I used to think I was a bit well-behaved one out of six, yeah. <laughs> and. I was always in trouble because I was stealing eggs and hiding them in the drawer and... Not, not because she's a thief, but because she was trying to make things. I was, <laughs> I was experimenting. I had a little notebook and I'd write up my experiments of what happened to them. Usually gross. Mm. 
bread under the bed and all this, all this stuff, um, frozen toothpaste, oh, so plant, whole, plants that disappeared. The whole idea of research and science kind of was in your blood as well, wasn't it? It kind of was. I think it upset mum and dad because there wasn't a lot of food to go around with such a big family and so it kept disappearing. <laughs> yeah. And yet, well, it's all paid off now, hasn't yeah. it? So um, you were gluten intolerant and you said, I need gluten-free bread. And I think we all know if we've tried the, the free-from type products, they're not as good as the real thing, are they? They didn't do it for me. They were, they were quite crumbly and dry usually, and they just didn't taste like nice bread. And then I add to the fact that I could find lots of chemicals in there. You know, normal bread is mm. flour, water, salt, and yeast. That's right. Real bread is so simple. Yeah. If you're intolerant, it's no good, but actually it's a very, very simple product. Yeah. And again, usually the free-from stuff, they're putting things in to make it taste better. So, so how did you start? How did you go, I've got, I've, got to, I've got to invent a new kind of bread. How did you do that? Well, I started the same way everyone does, really. I Googled other people's recipes. Oh, yeah. That's a good place to start. <laughs> I, go kind, I kind of copied other people's and I thought, well, why doesn't this work? Why doesn't that work? And I tried so many. And why has that got that in it? And then I thought, let's go back to basics. This is almost A-level biology stuff mm. here, structure and function. So I was looking at the structure of wheat and what holds it all together. Yeah. Holds the yeah. wheat together. Um, but what it comprises, starch, protein, um, yeast, uh, carbohydrates. Mm. And so then I tried to emulate that using other flours. So a lot of them are very high starch flours, some are very high protein flours. And if you've got lots of protein, it will make something that's really rock solid. You've got lots of starch, it will just fall oh, apart yeah. like a dandelion. And a lot of other people, what they do is they add chemicals to replace the gluten, mm. I call it the glue, the glue that, that holds it together. And without that, everything crumbles and falls apart. So if you add chemicals, you can hold it together, you can give a bit of a better flavour and texture, and it can rise properly and not sink again. So I was just trying to emulate that structure of wheat and the gluten so and the proteins. So how long from you going, Googling up other people's recipes and starting and then kind of going, oh, actually, I have to, I have to get a bit scientific. How long from there to saying, I've made a loaf of bread that someone wants to eat? I would say a good six months. Wow. Really? Was, it, was it most days in the kitchen trying to work it out? I was still trying to get back into work then post illness mm. and I was doing some days working and some days in the kitchen. But I made so many things. My husband used to come home from work and go, what have we got today then? <laughs> and now <laughs> thanks. But I guess he, he was, you're in business with him now, so he had to be pretty honest. He, you know, he, he had to be honest with you and tell you if it was any good or not, didn't um, he? Yeah, he would. <laughs> His face says it, but he doesn't. But a lot went in the bin. Um, but now he comes home and says, what have we got today? And there's a smile on his face. Because <laughs> um, now it's been sold currently um, through Ocado, your online delivery, as a pack, which you make yourself. And yeah. Davina did send me some through. And in and and research, I had to make a loaf last night and I ate half of it. <laughs> <laughs> Good. That's what we like. Because it is really delicious and it doesn't, mm. It doesn't taste like the gluten-free stuff, and it was really mm. easy to make. Um, and and yeah, it tasted amazing because you've got quite a range now, haven't you, of different products? We've got six kits and mixes that sell in retail, Mercado um, online, all sorts of places. Um, and we're going into bake products and products soon as well. Yeah, because uh, we're jumping ahead oh, of myself. Yes. I love this story yeah. so much. So anyway, so you had six months and you said, hmm, I've got something that people might actually want to eat as a gluten-free product. Then what? Well, I was kind of sampling them out to nutritional clients and other people, and they liked them. So I entered the World Bread Awards. Oh, I bit, love this story. Going bit, bit cheeky, bit cheeky. Mm. So it's six months, little, little you're mucking around in your kitchen, playing this, well, not playing, you are a scientist, but Yeah, playing in science yeah. in the kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> So, what well, intrigues me is that there's so many, like we've got the massive supermarkets and bread providers, and yet 
you being innovative and entrepreneurial and trying to solve your own problem, actually you came up with a solution that maybe some other people with all their money and all their scientific research R&D budget. And there was you in your kitchen playing with the bread and the flowers and everything and look what you came up with. I love that. It's just so entrepreneurial. I think generally in life in general as well, I tend to see life with a different eye to most people. So people will see things from one angle and I always seem to come at it from a different place. It's funny, we were talking about, I was talking to Davina before we came on air, and she said, oh, be careful, because I jump on all over the show when I'm talking. <laughs> I said, hey, that's a side of an entrepreneur, because I'm terrible at that. So we both have to make sure we stay on track a little bit. But yeah. you're quite, you're, your whole life's been quite entrepreneurial, mm. inventor, thinking outside the box, hasn't it? Yes, yeah. Just the whole time. But um, I just, I do love it that you managed to come up with a solution that, that the big loads of money hasn't managed to fix. Uh, I think the money, money is one of the key things because I was just thinking about product at the time and the big guys were thinking about how bottom can we take line it straight to market, yeah. And the cost of the product and how, how much you can sell it for, you know, the margins you can make and what people are willing to pay for it. So now I tend to give recipes to Dan, my husband. He's my partner in crime also. Uh -huh. And he's the businessman through and through the logistics. So you get to be the, the crazy entrepreneur and ideas lady and you've got someone who keeps you in line I, with business. I throw stuff at him and he has to go and organise how to source it, how to price it. And he comes back and says, you can't put this in, it costs too much. Oh, well, but oh. I like it. <laughs> We're permanently having these um, discussions, but... But you do need this, and if you're in business and if you mm. are kind of more the entrepreneurial inventor side, you do need someone either very managerial or very business because I think mm. it's easy to get carried away with the good ideas. And again, you have to, if you want your bread to be out there and you want people to be eating it, you still have to make money from it. You still have to, you can't put expensive ingredients and you've still got to, or expensive ingredients, you've got to be cost effective, doesn't it? Yes, he tells me this every day. <laughs> <laughs> he has yeah. spreadsheets upon spreadsheets of the costs of every individual item. And yes, he, he, keep, he works it out. I couldn't do that. I just would buy nice ingredients and make. No, but he wouldn't. He wouldn't have, hugely spread, he wouldn't have any spreadsheets without you, would he? Because he needed, <laughs> he needed some bread to cost up. <laughs> yes. Um, but this came out of um, a, a serious illness, and so she got in the kitchen. She made it all, and within six months, and thousands and thousands of failed loaves of bread, I think too. She um, uh, she managed to get something she could take to market. So you've got this. You and your husband Dan are going. Hey, hey, hey. We're on. Just to, ask, to start off with, was it a commercial? Did you want to make the bread to make profit? Did you want to have a business out of it? Uh, not at the start, no. I was making it because I wanted some nice bread. And I had some clients who I was feeding nice bread. Because you, you were it. a nutritionist, weren't yeah. you, as well? Yeah. yeah. Um, then I entered the World Bread Awards, cheekily. And I was actually at the hospital as a follow-up appointment. Um, and it's the first appointment I'd said to my husband, you don't have to come with me, I'm fine on my own, it's just a general appointment. And he's texting me while I'm in the waiting room saying, hey, you've just won three medals. Three medals? Yeah, cheeky, <laughs> cheeky he wasn't meant so, to check till so I got back. literally, six months you had a loaf, then you entered the International Bread Awards, yeah. and then you won three medals. Yeah. What were your three medals in? Um, they were, there's a gluten-free category and there are many, many gluten categories. And so in the gluten-free category, I got um, a gold, a silver, and a bronze. And they're just um, targeted if you get above 90%. They're all blind tested. Uh -huh. I think there's about 20 judges on each one. And everyone marks out of 10 for different attributes. And if you get above 95%, you get a gold. And if you get above 90, it's a silver. I think those are the sort yeah, of numbers yeah. anyway. Um, so I got three medals. And I thought, oh, this boiled me right. on. <laughs> okay, there really might be something here. Yeah, and then... Shortly after that, I happened to see an advert from a company called Grocery Accelerator. 
and it said, enter this competition to win £50,000 seed investment to start your food business for retail. Mm -hmm. I'd never thought of doing this before, so I thought, hey, let's go for it. I'm on a roll, I might as well go for this. So I entered the competition along with 100 and something other companies, and we were one of five companies that got invested. Wow. So, the invest- so fifty thousand investments, quite a lot of money. But did did that? Um, well, it must have spurred you on. Did at the same time, did it almost make you think? Um, well, this is real. That there's a lot of money. It's not. It's not a five thousand pound. It's fifty thousand pounds. It's a lot of money to make things happen. It was kind of scary. And it seemed mm. like a huge amount of money. And then I thought, what am I going to do? <laughs> um, so we had the invest investment group that was called Startup Funding Club, and I was just so grateful because all of these people have believed in me, and I feel like. Honestly, I walked into the room and I had a loaf of bread and an idea. Yeah. That's how it feels. And then and I came I just, out with I remember you said money. It's like Dragon's Den and you thought you had to be super slick, but actually um, you just had to be have your a fantastic story and I think a, a fantastic product as and well. I didn't was you? super nervous. I really, really was nervous. And I can't believe that how how shaky and nervous I was. And then the next day they call and say, Hey, congratulations. Really? So you've got you've got this big investment. Then, yeah. what, then, what, then what's the next stage? Because you've kind of got your idea, you've got some money now. Well, how do you move it forward? Well, once we have investors, of course, the, the grocery accelerator company, they were mentoring us. That was part of the investment wow. to make sure yeah. that we didn't just go away and squander the 50,000 on nothing. Um, so we had various workshops and training schedules to get us up to retail. I've never done anything food or retail before. Um, so we were teaching us all the robes. These are all experienced people who've done this for many years. Um, then we had to get a package together, get an actual product that works, so, so have testing. You're sold as a, a, a mix. It's kind of, when I say like a cake mix, it's nice and that, but it's like a cake mix that you make at home. Yes. Why did you decide to do that and not make the end product? Originally, I would have loved to have made the end product because that's so much simpler. You give people what they want and that's it. Mm-hmm. If you're creating a mix, then you're dependent on other people being being able to make that mix, even though we've made it very, very, very simple. I did have to read the instructions. I had to get my glasses out to read the yeah. instructions and make sure I did it right. So it is, and it is, again, it's a bakery product. You do have yeah. to follow instructions on a bakery yes. product, don't yes. you? Yeah. yeah, you can't guess. Um, so I'd have loved to do bread, but the costs involved were just... Mm the money, you know, you need to have a certain amount of background and money to be able to set up a bakery, which is what we're doing now. But that's taken four years to get to this stage. So the first stage that we were using the investment for was to get um, get the recipes right, get some branding and some packaging made. And I spent a lot of time and money on that. And yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the branding because um, that was probably... I think anyone that starts a business and has ideas, it's almost if you could turn back the clock, you think, oh, I would have done that different, that different. But you were saying your branding was probably the one of your stickiest points, wasn't it? It was. I spent huge time and money on it. And I think in those days, again, as we were talking earlier, when you come out of a serious illness, you kind of lose your confidence mm-hmm. a bit. And I was listening to advice because I thought this is the thing to wait. Just learn, just learn as much as you can, listen to everybody. But listening to everyone isn't the same as taking everyone's advice. And that's what I did. So many opinions. And I was trying to please them all and trying to do what all these experts were telling me was the right thing to do. Yeah. And in the end, I spent a lot of time, a lot of money. The brand didn't work. It was pretty duff, actually. And of course, without a brand, you don't have packaging. Without packaging, you don't you have product. Sell. You can't sell. You've got no income. So it was a long, big mistake. I know, because I, 
I think I, I hear this a lot. People want to get it perfect. I don't know how it was for you, but you went, you went for a really high-end marketing company mm. that was telling you what to do. When I changed from wedding photography into the dance school specialist, I had my local designer and I said, do me four designs. I'm pink. It's got to be girly. She came out with four designs. I did a straw poll and I said, I'm going for it. And you know, I think a lot of people, I do this, hear this story a lot. They go, oh, it's not perfect. Let's tweak that. Let's tweak that. And actually, sometimes you just have to go with your gut and just go with something. And I think, so if anyone's thinking of starting a business, you do need good branding. It has to be more than something you've designed at home on, um, you know, on Photoshop or something. But actually, don't try and overthink it. Just kind of go with something. And then, and actually you did go with something and then it wasn't right. So you had to rebrand again, didn't you? Well, I've got a fabulous company now who basically picked me up, started again with a white sheet of paper. We've changed, people saying, oh, you're so brave to change the branding and the name. And you changed the name too, because you weren't Davina Steele. No, no, no. So basically, everyone used to have to ask what the name meant. We thought it was clever. They were asking. What was the name? It was Mana Vida, a manna, bread, yeah. food from heaven, of life, sorry. So, bread of life. And we thought that was so clever, and it translates into about 25 languages. How clever? Too clever. Everyone had and to it's ask not, it's, what it meant. In a different language as well. Mm. It was not as memorable, wasn't it? No, people kept asking what it meant. And if you have to ask, then. So then you it's changed lost. your name to Davina Steele. Yeah. I always think that's not a made up name. That is your name, isn't that it? Davina. Is name. <laughs> I love that name. <laughs> I think Carmel James are right, but I'd much prefer to call like, Davina oh, Steele. Yes. It's kind of, it's got a, it's, it's like a perfect marketing name, isn't it? <laughs> Thank so, you. So, whose idea was it to be Davina Steele? Um, more from the group, actually, than from me. People saying, hey, why don't you do this? Because the, the story is you yeah. and the background is you. You invented the bread and you're the one that tells the story and goes out to see people. So keep your name. And at the start, I was kind of a bit nervous about this. And we've only just launched the new brand and the new product, which has gone down an absolute storm. Um, that was last November. And I'm really only just getting used to people talking about me in, my, in the same room. They're talking about Davina Steele, and I think they're all talking about me. And of course, they're not. <laughs> well, I'm Carmel Jane Photography. And again, I think having your name, it can really work, but it's a mm. double-edged sword at times. So I always think, you know, we, we take, I don't know, half a million photos a year. And I always think someone's saying, oh, Carmel Jane, this photo's bad. And it's my name goes on every photo. Yeah. Your name goes out on every packet of bread. And yeah. I'm sure there's someone who hasn't made your bread properly and said, this is no good. Not It's really easy. It's amazing. But that's it feels very personal and you feel very vulnerable mm. when it's your name on every pack that goes out, isn't absolutely, it? Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Um, that's why I said we really wanted to have the baked product we're doing mm. two, the two alongside so each other So you say, this now. is how good it is when it's done properly, yeah. Well, when people, we do an awful lot of food festivals and exhibitions and we always take fresh bread for people oh, to so taste. you're selling the packs there, but you're saying this is what this you is do. What, Read the instructions yeah. carefully and you'll have amazing and bread. And a number <laughs> of people just say, almost everyone, this is the best gluten-free bread I've ever tasted. And they just come back for more. And even little kids who can't eat gluten, mm. little celiac kids, we go to these festivals. And they run off to find their mum. Mum, mum, come and check this. And I love that. Yeah. I love that. But then they've got to take the pack home and do it themselves. And it is such a such a simple process. But not everyone can bake. How, how do you start scaling this business? Well, this is really where um, Dan, my husband, comes in. His background is in sales, logistics, marketing, business. He's, mm-hmm. He is just super expert at all these I things. Oh, gee, you know, you've got all your... the things that I was lacking, he fits in there and can do them. So he was helping me part-time. It's meant to be so just... How's it working with your husband? Good. Good? Yeah. You like him? How long have you been married? Uh, well, we've been married about eight years now. Oh, okay. Together about 15, so... Yeah, well, no, yeah we, it, we, it, it is tough. Either works amazingly or it's very difficult. Isn't yeah, it? Well, we, we, work, we work well together. Oh, and we have a fabulous team now as well. So it's... 
I think that's that's what works for me is I can't do everything. I love doing the creative side. That's really, really mm. my stuff, the creativity and the thinking up new ideas. And then you get the fat returns and the sales and the marketing and the distribution. No, no, no. And, that's, that's oh, all the boring word. stuff. Hand that over. Well, I think some I have people, now. when they're starting a business, they feel like they're the only ones that can yeah. do everything. And actually, you've got to balance up paying someone. So I'm a big fan of employing people, mm. scaling your business, because you can't do everything. And you're not going to be good at everything. Mm. You know, Dan might be great at all the spreadsheets and all the accounts, but he can't make bread. And you've just got to realise that. But I think once you do realise how much fun delegation is, shout out to my bookkeeper for doing all those accounts. because. I don't enjoy doing it. And I've got, I'm very similar to you, the ideas person. Mm. And you've got, I think that's the biggest thing, isn't it? Give it off to someone else. The, the people that, that know, that are better at you than doing the, the boring stuff, I say. That's what I'd <laughs> say too. Um, um, so, so Dan's helping you. Well, we started going, we've been doing the last couple of years, all sorts, any number of festivals, food festivals. We call it our Celiac Roadshow. So the Celiac mm. um, UK has different regional groups and we go to all of their day-long day fairs, which entails me getting up about three or four in the morning to make the bread, to sample, and then Dan does all the driving Wow, well, so three you, you hours. have to make the bread fresh. Yeah, so yeah. long, long days, but they're always worth it. And we get all the market research feedback as well as selling product. I get the get feeling too, but the same, me taking great photos of people and a big confidence boost. Yeah, we have to make money and we've got to be really proud of our product. But actually part of it is, you know, some kids that are celiac and have to miss out on so much stuff. And then you can go, hey, but you can eat this bread. So mm. there's that whole, I think when it comes from a good place, it makes a difference as well, doesn't it? I think also when the children say, this is the best bread I've had, when the children say, this is the best bread I've had, that's something because kids don't lie about <laughs> things like that. Yeah, they can't arrange their face and be polite, can uh, they? They just say how it is. And the number of adults who've said, hey, taste this to their kid. This is what real bread tastes like because they've never actually eaten what they call real yeah. bread. So is some celiacs really dangerously gluten intolerant? A celiac is a total, totally different disease to different gluten to me intolerance. Going, if I eat too much bread, I get a bloated tummy. <laughs> no, bloated tummy and tummy upset. Celiac, when people eat gluten, it makes their body turn in on itself. So instead of all the antibodies like fighting the mm -hmm. gluten, it starts fighting your own gut wall and your own gut wall starts getting eaten to pieces and breaking down. And it's really, really unpleasant. It's not just an overnight, oh, I've eaten a yeah. bit of gluten, I'm going to be ill tomorrow. It's seriously oh, so bad. You, this is, that's another exciting thing about you. Re, you are really genuinely helping people, aren't you? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. Love That's brilliant. So anyway, back to these entrepreneurs jumping around all over the show. We're back to talking about, we've got the product, we've got the marketing, Dan's helping you. How do you get it into the supermarkets? So you get it to the mass market because you can't be getting up at three o'clock every Saturday and Sunday morning and working till 10 o'clock at night. No, that's just consumers. And I say just that quite lightly yeah. because I, consumers are literally our bread and butter. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Unintended. Um, so Dan and Tim, who's another member of our team, they deal with all the retailers and the wholesalers, the large distributors. Mm -hmm. That's really not my forte. And I love just listening to them talk about what they're doing and planning. In fact, Dan has scooted off on a four-hour journey, or eight-hour round trip, in fact, today, for the fourth time to the same major retailer. I went about a year ago with him to do a demo, in, you know, the baking demo in their kitchen to show them how it was made. They've had our packs and made them. Absolutely loved them. They were going to um, launch us in November. They were going to launch us again in January. And then the buyer left. Oh. So he's there again today meeting the new buyer, starting again, <laughs> essentially. And a lesson in perseverance too, isn't it? That this, it's not easy. This is the way it goes with many of the large multiples there. Buyers change quite frequently. And when you go into the big 
because you're, you're on the verge of getting into a couple of big suit. You're now Carlo, we're, but we're, a couple of big suit we're close, markets. Yes. Yeah. Um, do you really? Are they really squeezing you on your margins? Like, is it really difficult to, or, or will they sell enough that it actually makes it okay? Um, uh, a touch of both, I guess. I tend to leave that side to Dan and Tim. <laughs> Dan in my life, who just sorts no, all the serious, stuff out. He is a seriously good negotiator. People say, oh, I'll, I'll give you a fiver for it, and, I, and I'm really asking eight quid. I'll probably say, yeah, okay, that's nice. And he'll go, oh, don't be silly. <laughs> he's just such so a good ace, ace yeah. with the numbers. He really is. Oh, so, amazing. So, um, because you've got a couple of big supermarkets just on the on the cusp now of yeah. bringing your products in. Yeah, we just need to work out what's the minimum margin we can make and mm -hmm. still grow. So where do you, do you must have a factory to make all the... We have a factory, not ours, mm -hmm. we subcontract to a factory up north um, and they've been blending and mixing all our stuff since day one. They've been, like all of our suppliers actually, we're very loyal to all our suppliers, that's a great part of it, because every single one that we're with now has been with us from day one and they've just helped us, they've guided us, they've taught us, they've given us a real nice chance in life and, you know, being generous with us. That's and I think that's really good as yeah. a business. There are, there are good people out there that yeah. want to help. I think I think your, your story is great. And you're, yeah. you're a very, very genuine person, I think, and that, that really helps with an amazing product to, to put out there. Um, so what have you got any... Oh, Dan does it. Have you got any tips for if people have got a product they're trying to get to market to the big distributors, what do they do? Oh, gosh. I think probably if it's a food product probably actually do the food fairs and things to start with because mm. you do get great feedback there. If people don't like something, they'll tell you. I suppose it's a, is, is my product as good as I think it is? And I yeah. guess then you're starting to interact on social media. So if you're going to bigger companies, you can say, well, we've done our market research, but it's worthwhile doing the fairs because people are buying and liking yeah. our food. And I, exactly. And I think when you get into perhaps the smaller farm shops, delis, the smaller shops, independents mm -hmm. first, you get feedback from them as well. So did you start with the smaller independent shops? We have a number of distributors selling into farm shops and delis now, and we've been selling ourselves into smaller outlets. And that's how you start. You just work up and work up, and then it gets bigger and more and more scary. So what, what it feels like, I mean, I think four years of, of, of from being ill, and now, say, we, we'll talk about shortly, you, you've just got the keys to a bakery, um, you're doing commercial bakery. What well, feels a bit like an overnight success. There's been a lot of work, hasn't there? Oh, gosh. <laughs> for so, so long, we felt like we are just swimming across the ocean or the, the channel, and we've been halfway for so long, just halfway, and we never seemed to be getting any further. It's as far back as it was forward, so we just had to keep going, yeah. just keep swimming, really. Because actually, um, you did tell me off here, you and Dan put your pensions on these, didn't, on this, um, didn't you? Yeah. We were so running that, close to yeah, the wire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That ups the ante, doesn't it? Like it's it's really serious. You've got to make it work, which I think is um, you know, always a good motivator, isn't it? <laughs> well, we had to decide: do we believe in this enough to do this? And the answer was yes. So we we took the pensions and said, we've got to make this business our pension. <laughs> but now you're saying you're kind of not quite the end is in sight, but you're like you know what, this is working. It's going to be great, and and we're going to be okay, which must be a really good feeling. Absolutely. Since we've got the, had the new brand, that's really made the world of difference absolutely just everyone wants it people didn't want to stock it before and now everyone's clamoring for it people That's didn't amazing, want to buy it before it? it's it just the branding is so strong now everyone loves it and that has made a difference the product is the same as before as good right. as ever um so it is it is worth uh not being wanting to be too much of a perfectionist but if something's gone wrong having the courage to change because people told you you were you were it wasn't a good idea to change wasn't it they did yes they just said you're really 
taking such a huge risk. And then we both said we're taking a huge risk sticking with something that's not working. Working, yeah. And that's a really, really brave decision to yeah. make, I think, isn't it? And we're both feeling quite low about it, just looking at these packs on the shelf. That you thinking, didn't, you weren't proud of. Uh, well, Dan, the, the marketing wasn't making you feel. It wasn't. And Dan kept saying, we've got to remove those packs from the shelf in our office. It's like looking at an ex-girlfriend. He doesn't <laughs> want, He doesn't want to look, look at her anymore. He wants the new one there. Yeah, they're David <laughs> Steele model. That's yeah. much better. <laughs> So it's Carmel Jane here with Carmel Jane Talks Business on Phoenix FM. And I have the wonderful and inspirational Davina Steele in here. Some of you might have heard of her because she makes gluten-free bread packs, which you can buy on Ocado and on Amazon and all sorts of places. Um, in four years, she's gone from um, recovering from cancer, inventing her own bread, getting it into the big supermarkets and winning international bread awards. And you've even won international bread awards in the non-gluten-free section, haven't you? We've won the gluten category, actually won it um, three times now, the last three years. So you're up against the, bre the breads and that have got all the gluten that makes it all fluffy the, and the, gl the gluten category, the year last year and the year before last, I got a bit sneaky and I decided I'd enter a gluten category because clearly gluten people can't enter mm. the gluten-free oh, category, yeah. but there's nothing in the rules said you can't do vice versa. So I thought, okay, I'll do this. You don't have to tell them. They've got our company details and everything, obviously, but they're ju everything's judged blind. Uh -huh. Um, and both years I've gained a gold medal, which means I'm right in the top of from the blind testing. And I've come third in the category. And that means I've beat a lot of gluten bakers that, that's out impressive. there. That's, that's, that's <laughs> very impressive. So we're you're selling the packs. People have to make it in the home sales, but I have made it. It's super easy, super delicious. And now you have just got the keys to a commercial bakery, haven't you? Literally just cold still. <laughs> so we're busy in there cleaning up and it was a gluten bakery before. So we've acquired the equipment and that needs a super deep, deep clean. Plan. It's going to be a 100% gluten-free category um, bakery. So we need to clean everything from top to bottom. We've taken ceiling tiles down. So why, why did you decide to go commercial? Well, right from the start, I really wanted to sell mm. bread because as we said before, yeah. not everyone can bake, even though it is extra, extra simple yeah. to make. Um, but also there's so many more opportunities, hotels and restaurants, mm -hmm. they don't want to buy our blend in, our flour mix, they want to actually buy like in product. end product that's all pre-packed and safe for them to be able to sell. So. That's and what you we're bought doing. A, a bakery that unfortunately had gone into liquidation, so all the equipment was there. Yeah. And you've taken on that the baker that had been made redundant, haven't you? Yes. Yeah, so he's been a gluten mm. professionally trained baker for about eighteen years now. Um, he's come back to work with us. He knows all the machinery inside out, and so he he's teaching us that. We're teaching him, or I'm teaching him about gluten free baking. And adapting his skills to something new. He's not going to have to new. do all the effort into kneading the bread. It's going to be easier, isn't it? I know. <laughs> he's going to be bored, Paddy. Well, he won't because we've got so many new products we're, we're creating that oh. he's going to. He's got so much new to learn. So you have got yeah. new. The, the, now you've probably got to a stage where it's all working. You can go back to inventor, can't you? I have my own very very own development kitchen at the back of the bakery. Up till now, I've been the development kitchen has been our home kitchen. So it's been 90% work and 10% us trying to... <laughs> do, you, do you actually eat bread for like breakfast, lunch and dinner? No. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you eat I, any bread or you just get sick of it because you make it all the time? 
I eat less bread than people might expect. Yeah, yeah. I, I do, I do, of course. And we have to taste every time mm. we're, we're testing stuff and that, but yeah, I do. But it must be great to know that now you've got a commercial kitchen, you can go to work and do your inventing there and not mm. have to have it in your home. Because I think that's the hardest thing. You have to work super hard, don't you? And you have to be in your home. It has to be 24 seven, but at some point, it's nice to get some differentiation between work and home, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. Um, just having my own kitchen back would be lovely. It's a decent sized kitchen, but everywhere I look, everything is work. Yeah. It's just nice to have a home kitchen, bake a roast meal. <laughs> <laughs> and so you can go into the bakery, you can be the, the, the inventor in the bakery. So what's, you're saying you've already got commercial customers for your gluten-free bread and the bakery's not even open yet? It isn't open. We've been talking to a number of people and because they've tasted our breads and our scones and our pizzas and mixes and things, mm. they're very keen to buy our stuff. So we've got people already lined up. Um, so is that, has that come through the fairs or is that because I've tried your bread? Have you, have you been approaching restaurants and things to, to, to put your gluten-free bread out there? How's it, how's it come oh, my about? word. We seem to have approached everyone. We do the fairs and things, but we also do um, trade fairs, trade exhibitions right. where... Um, Hoteliers, mm -hmm. retail buyers. Well, they're all going to look at the food options. Stuff will come to so are you, in, are you international yet? Actually, yes. yes I say yet. You're going to be international one day. Yeah. Our first big international client, strangely enough, was in Hong Kong. Wow. Yeah, you know what we're, trying to, we're trying to secure all the UK clients, but Hong Kong, these guys just loved it. So. Would it be out that way with the more gluten intolerant people? Because it's not part of their natural dot, like, their diet historically? I don't know. There are two ways of looking at this, two, two arguments really. Some people say because you don't, if you don't eat gluten, then your body can't oh. adapt to it. And some people say if you eat too much, for example, in Italy, it's hugely common for people to be gluten intolerant. Wow. That would be tough in Italy, wouldn't it? <laughs> subside on pasta. Yeah, everything. And pizzas. And bread. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. So you've already gone international. Yeah. So what's next? So you're opening a bakery, you're going to be selling all commercial. What, what's mm. next? Where, where is um, Davina Steel Bread going to be in five years' time? In five years' time? Well, everywhere. <laughs> wouldn't, we, wouldn't we wish? Um, our aim really, because we do have investors now, so we literally have a vested interest in growing the business so that they can get some return. How does that feel having investors? Because you're now you're now accountable to someone, isn't yeah. it? So you, you got the investment, which is yes. great, which means it gives you money to grow. But how does it feel? Because is it almost, it's not your own business or does it still feel like your own business? Not at all. Our first investors, the Startup Funding Club, mm. who say, believe in me, when I have my loaf of bread and an idea, um, they've been amazing. They just... We report back to them, report into them, and via the Grocery Accelerator, mm -hmm. they receive our reports and our updates on what we're doing. And obviously, because we're closely allied, they know what's going on all the time. Um, but they don't interfere. Oh, they don't. Yeah. They're, they're just so kind and relatively because easy. I think you're just attracting the right people, aren't you? Yeah. I think you're putting out there what you want, and it's coming back. So. You know, and you've got good suppliers. Your investors are, are, are being good to you and, and well, we've just gotten a whole new tranche of investors just this last just after we launched actually uh -huh. the new product in December a whole new load of investors and they're equally amazing you know reporting to us every three months keep in touch just let us know how things are going and it's staggering how kind they are Oh, well, kind enough to give us quite a lot of money, actually. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not truly kindness. They want their money back. Yeah. But yeah, they've been good to you yeah. letting you grow. They and, are, and, and, yes. and seeing was thinking about a food product, what would you say to them? Practice, practice, practice. Yeah. Get the product good. And question everything. 
question everything. Yes. So, so what you mean in the product or you say implement marketing, everything? Everything, yes. Why is it done this way? How, how can I change it? What can I do to make it? All the time I'm always, not just for the bread, for everything. Why do we do it this way? And how do you think you manage to take on the big players? How did, how did you in your kitchen making six months worth of bread actually create a product that was better than people throwing money at it could do? I think I was just looking at everything from a different angle, looking with a different eye. I was looking to make something beautiful with no chemicals and I just had a different angle, a different take. I wanted to introduce something that tasted delicious, was nutritious, you know, to fit with what I believe, my background. Um, and I think I wasn't looking at the costs. Just making But now, having created that, yeah, I've got, got people telling me about the costs and we, we've managed right. together to work to a middle ground and still keep it beautiful. So, and where can people, because you've had quite a bit of help from uh, third parties, haven't you, who really know about this. Yeah. Um, who, who, who have you had to help you? Well, as I said, the Grocery Accelerator team, of course, because they were there from the start and they introduced me to the investors. Dan, of course, he's been there right from the darkest, darkest mm -hmm. days and through some of the in interim darker days. Um, the, all of my suppliers, so the blenders and packages, um, our, our designers who recreated everything, and that has been amazing. Our um, printers, everyone has just taught us what we need to know. I didn't know about the weight of the board you have to have for a particular product, you know, everything from the start. They've been amazing. We stick together now and we're quite good and friends with most of them actually. <laughs> So that, created a really good yeah. team. Thank you so much for coming in. It has been wonderful to have you in there. All the best. I cannot wait to eat more of your delicious gluten-free bread. Good luck with the bakery. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll keep, keep us posted on how you're doing. I will do. Thank you so much. Thank you. A little break to the podcast for all of you photography buffs out there. I'm going to be speaking at the photography show at the NEC in March. It's a four-day extravaganza of all things photographic. On Monday the 18th of March, I'm going to be on the wedding and portrait stage talking all about and showing you the art of high volume head headshots. This is my biggest speaking engagement to date and I'm pretty excited about it. It's going to be a fantastic event so please do come along and if you're there on the 18th, come and see me on the portrait stage at noon. I have in the seat across from me the wonderful Emma Good from 24 Fingers, who is an expert on all things social media. Welcome, Emma. Hi, Cobell. How are you? Very well, thank you. Um, so, uh, we are going to talk today how to niche on social media. We have just had um, Davina Steele, and she, she made bread, so, she uses, so she's got a quite a target market. People want to make bread, gluten free, probably kind of a lot of mummies. So, she had quite a specific market. So, it's, it's, a, it's interesting, you can't be afraid to niche, can you? And say, this is what I do, and this is how I'm targeting. Definitely. Don't be scared to be niche. It's much better to be something really great to a few people rather than nothing to a lot of people. So, I'm going to use the analogy of uh, be Marmite or Vegemite in your case, um, you know, be something that you stand for and people will either love you or they'll hate you, but that's fine. Um, you can be a much louder person in a less crowded room, mm. which is good on social. I tell you, when I moved from doing weddings and general photography, I, I do quite a bit now, but I, I started saying, I am a dance school photography expert. And I tell you what, if you have one thing and you're after one type of customer, it makes your marketing so much easier, it gives you much clearer focus. I mean, we, we kind of, because we're doing more than one type of photography now, it's it's more difficult to nut our marketing down. So choose who you're after. I think this is a really good tip if you're starting out, isn't it? To really be clear. Definitely. And once you've niched, it's much easier to become an influencer because people naturally 
associate you with that sector or that mm. industry or that service and you get known for that one thing and you can go, kind of go hell for leather on it. And um, it's a good idea to use your story, isn't it, to make you different, to stand out because there are so many people trying to make a difference and, and be heard. So using your own story is a great idea, isn't it? Definitely. So Davina spoke earlier about how she got from A to B and, and obviously is continuing to see, but don't be afraid to use the challenges, use the triumphs. And um, obviously you had Laura Moody a mm. few weeks ago. And Laura was talking about the hurdles that she overcame. People really like to hear that genuine, authentic story. You know, none of us are entrepreneurs overnight. None of us have built six-figure businesses overnight. It's taken some effort, um, a lot of uh, ups and downs along the way and, and that's good to share that yeah and a bit of vulnerability too so you know it's not it's not i don't actually probably look on instagram and everyone's gorgeous and perfect mm. all the time it's not true no, um, no. So, so how do you niche yourself so our three niches at 24 fingers we've got um local Essex businesses as one of our niches. So I'm really, really proud to be an Essex girl. I've got it everywhere on my bios and people start to reference my LinkedIn account now as, you know, you're the Essex girl that does social media. So um, I'm very proud to be Essex and I really want to hone in on helping local Essex businesses. We've got a brilliant vibrant business community and I want to support those small business owners. Because it is more difficult when, because um, I said I want to do dance photography and there's, I don't know, in Essex there might be 300 dance schools. So it's pretty specific, it's pretty niche when you're doing schools. Again, it's a very targeted market. But when you're doing social media, pretty much everyone who's in business. So you, you've got to kind of, you've got to stay focused on one type and it, there's lots of businesses that um, that are out, even if it's B2C or B2B, that Everyone in the whole world almost is their, is their is their potential customer, isn't it? And you know that's hard when you get you know you're going from A to Z and trying to offer too many things to too many people. So we've honed down on local Essex businesses. My background is print and paper, so mm-hmm. I've had 25 years in the publishing industry. So that's a natural fit for me. Um, I understand their world, I understand their pain points, so I can very easily flip that to support them. And the next one for us is female entrepreneurs in the personal development sector because I'm personally interested in that and I think a really key point about your niche finding your niche is do what you're interested in and do what you like you're going to be much more successful if it inspires you and gets you up in the morning I think it really resonates with with you as a person it's much easier to market it and get that story out there definitely starting a business you've got your business and you want to put it out there on social media and um, you've got to choose your niche you've got to say this is who I am this is my story this is what I'm going to do and um, she's also said are you a key guy what does that mean, Emma? So, Ikigai is a Japanese concept of finding a career or niche or a job that provides beauty, benefit and good. So, essentially, this means it's a job that you like, a job that makes you money and a job that helps the world in some way. And in Japan, in Japan it's proven that anybody that's an Ikigai is much, much happier, better mental health, better well-being. So, when you're looking at your niche, really find out what resonates with you because you're going to be much happier and uh, you'll get into Ikigai. Yeah, it's funny because we had Davina Steele who makes bread, she makes gluten-free bread because she was gluten intolerant. But actually her gluten-free bread can now be eaten by celiac people, especially celiac kids who've never tasted bread. And that's that sense of goodness and yeah. worse she gets from that. So, you know, she's going to make some money, she's got a successful business, but actually that is part of the, the happiness and the success for her is that she's producing something that is really helping people. Definitely. So your niche really needs to align with your purpose and your business values. And if you can get all of those things right, you've cracked it. Excellent. And um, so you've got to look, I mean, when you're putting it out there, are you fulfilling a need or solving a problem? So this is back to this icky guy, isn't it? Yeah. um, People, consumers, your customers, they want help. So they either want to save money, 
make money or they want you to save them time. So when you're thinking about your niche, really look at what are you doing to solve your customer's problem or to help them in some way. And a little tip here, if you go onto Google Trends, um, just in a normal web browser, you'll be able to go deeper into an industry or sector and see what people are searching for. So if you Google Google Trends and and then what? Then what do you do? Go on to it? Go on to it. Type in, uh, for example, local, local radio show or local photographer. Then the search volumes of how many people are searching for local photographer, for example, will come up. And then you can start typing in local photographer in Essex and see how many people are typing that in. And gradually you'll see a point where um, the trends for that particular search term are growing. And then if you can find that, that's the one that you want to kind of piggyback onto because you can see that that trend on a search term is proving more popular. You want to get in there at an early stage. Okay, that's really, and, but it's a bit of that's probably a little bit of hunting around, bit of research, really kind of looking into it, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, just go deeper and deeper until you find less competition. Because what you don't want to be is, you know, local photographer in Essex. You want to be local dance school photographer in Essex because that way anybody that's coming to you will convert at a much higher rate because you've really honed in on what they yeah. need. They're a dance school; they need regular photography. You're the woman. Brilliant. Okay, I didn't know about that. That's when Google Trends. Get in there and find out what is trending on Google, and then. We touched on this a few weeks ago, and actually, I um, I've been rethinking what I'm doing, finding the platform that is right for you. Yeah. Because um, actually, fun enough, our Instagram for dance schools and schools, and we're targeting kind of teenage girls and perhaps the mummies. Perfect for what I'm doing on Carmel Jane Talks Business. I'm better off being on LinkedIn because mm-hmm. I got. I got 1,300 views on a video I put on on my radio show, but it actually just feels like Instagram's not the right place because I'm getting people from all over the world liking posts and thinking, well, they're not really my target yeah. market. They'll so, never convert from no. you. So um, it is so important, but how, how do you make this choice? So it goes back um, to having a buyer persona, so understanding who your ideal customer is, how old they are, their gender, whether they've got kids, marital status, even to the point of you know what car do they drive, what newspaper do they read. You can go really, really granular. If you need a little helping hand on that, if you go into your website and Google Analytics, which most people have mm-hmm. loaded on their website, you can look in your demographic section and that's going to tell you most of the answers to that buyer persona question. So is that showing who looking for you or is that showing who you're targeting? I mean, is is it a bit of a, do you have to take it with a little bit of a pinch of salt on actually what those Google Analytics mean? So Google Analytics will show you who's visited your website. So who's found you either organically or through social media and has actually come onto your website. But then you can repeat that exercise on social media as well. So Facebook and Twitter um, and LinkedIn will also show you audience insights as well. So you'll start to be able to build a picture of your follower group and who actually is engaging with your content on social. And who what, what wants what it is that you're putting out there. Yeah, and then you can track back and say, actually on LinkedIn, for example, it's people aged 40 upwards and they're at CEO level. On Insta, it's the mummies, for example. And then you can tailor your content accordingly per channel. And you've got to choose the platform because it's really important not to spread yourself too thin, isn't it? Definitely. Um, you'll find it so much harder to reach um, the first goal of a thousand followers on so one what, platform. Is a Followers a good number. That's that's a number where everything starts to be a little bit easier. Um, with a thousand followers, you start to get traction. Now, traction shows the outside world that you're an expert. You know what you're doing and gives somebody a reason to so shape. Is this across all platforms? Yeah, pretty pretty much. Um, it does feel like a bit of a mountain to get to the one thousand mark, but 
once you've got it, you will find... It has uh, kind of an exponential effect, doesn't yeah, it? Once you exactly. get 1,000, it grows quite quickly. Yeah, exactly. Um, if you do want to start going on to more than one or two channels, what do you have to take into account? So once you've got 1,000 followers on one, it's much easier to start migrating people onto the second or third channel because you can start to say, actually, look, we're just launching a channel on Pinterest or Instagram, come over and follow us. You can bring um, followers across. Look at your goals. I would say that's like my top tip. Is it to become a thought leader, in which case you'd do Twitter next? Is it to build a community, Facebook, sell more products, Insta, or build your professional network, LinkedIn? All of that gets answered by your by persona and your company objectives. So if you're really clear on your objective, yeah. it's going to be quite obvious what is your is the platform that's most suited to Def- you. Definitely, because none of us have got endless time and social media is something that takes regular feeding. It's a fire that doesn't go out and it keeps needing to be stoked. I know. I think it's the whole idea. Social media is free marketing, but... Um, because now I'm kind of running Carmel Jane Photography and Carmel Jane Talks Business, someone's helping with the f- photography side. But it's actually quite time consuming. Yeah. And you've got to think about it and plan it. And actually, yeah. I feel at the moment I'm on too many platforms. Um, and, and it is difficult to maintain it. Yeah. Especially when you've got a day job or you're running a business. But next piece of advice, be consistent and do something every day without fail. Um, you might think that nobody's listening. They are. And it just takes that regular, repeatable action for you to build up your presence in your niche. So be consistent. Excellent. So if you want to start using social media to sell your services or products or make a name for yourself, what are your top tips? Top tips, um, create the kind of content your tribe actually wants. So think about how you can save the money, make the money or save the time or inspire them. Um, use a and tool. I think this is actually a marketing thing anyway, isn't it? You've got to look at how you're going to solve their problem. You're yes. not saying, I'm great. You've got to say, I'm going to help you solve this problem or, or make your life better in yes, some way. exactly. And that's going to be unique to particular sectors or industries, but there should be something that you think, actually, I can write a blog or I can write a checklist. I can give somebody some handy hints and tips. Use a tool called um, BuzzSumo to find out what's trending in your sector. So don't do all the heavy lifting yourself. See what's resonating with your tribe that somebody else has already done. Buzzsumo, that's a good one. Is it an app or That's a just a web, web, web browser. So use, use your Google Analytics to find demographics. Use your Google Trends to see what people are actually searching for. And then use something like Buzzsumo to see who's written what on that subject. And you'll find something that you think, actually, that could work for my audience too. So much out there and you can tools you can use. It all takes time, but it's worth it if you really need to to kind of give a bit of rocket fuel to, to your social media, isn't it? Exactly. And it, it will... Oh, sorry, it will pay dividends in the end. It might feel like a hard slog, but you will get there. Yeah, I think consistency is, is key, isn't it? You've really Keep got going. to... Not, I think people, we see all these overnight success and people happening very quickly, but actually you do have to put in the hard slog, don't you? And I think that's true in business and in life and in yeah, social media, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, nothing's easy. You have to work really hard. <laughs> but success will come. Yes, excellent. Well, thank you so much. I'm going to let you escape. Go out there and enjoy the glorious sunshine before it's not so good tomorrow. Fabulous to have you in and we'll see you again next week. Thank you very much. Hey, thanks so much for listening. And don't forget, please rate, review and subscribe on your preferred podcast platform. It really, really does help people to find us. You can find us too on Instagram and Facebook under Carmel Jane Talks Business or Twitter and LinkedIn at Carmel Jane. Please interact. We would absolutely love to hear from you. Join us again next week when we're having Women's Day special. We've got we've got a, a special guest on the um, on the show, and we've also got a little panel talking about all things to do with women and women in business. Um, if you have any questions you'd like answered on email, um, email in on Carmel at CarmelJane.co.uk or post on our Facebook page. I'm Carmel Jane, and remember, dream bigger, believe bigger, 
and make a difference.